Today on Across the Cavs, we have Ben Jones of the Hardwood Hoops podcast. We're talking Verizal, we're talking Cavs struggles, and the potential loss of Darius Garland for the season. Let's do it! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. It is May 3rd. We are one day shy of, intro, of the May the 4th be with you introduction, but that's all right because we got Ben Jones of the Hardwood Hoops podcast to talk about some positives, but Ben, unfortunately, it's mostly negatives. Nevertheless, it is great to have you on today. Thank you for having me again. Uh, yeah, I love coming on here. Also, gutted I am a little bit disappointed I didn't make that May the 4th, being a big Star Wars fan as well, but we'll cross that bridge another time. Yes, and that's on me because <laughs> Ben and I, we had my, we had today or Wednesday as, as our days, and today, today just kind of had the better feel. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry to you Star Wars fans. I cannot say I'm a Star Wars fan, but I can say that whenever I see a Jedi sword, I do get very excited. So, <laughs> so there's that, but... You know, speaking of Jedi swords, and no, I don't mean Jedi Osman, because uh, we're talking about classics, which is why I say speaking of, the Cavs brought back an old friend, Ben, a guy by the name of Anderson Verizhow, which probably shocked you as much as it did me when the news came up. It came so out of left field. It, was, it wasn't even a thought in my mind that he would even be back in the league, let alone back on the Cavaliers. It's in- incredible news. Yeah, because uh, the last we heard from Andy, we traded him to Portland to bring uh, good pal Channing Fry, who's actually one of the best analysts in the game now. He's a very funny guy. does a great job on road tripping with RJ and Ali Clifton and, and many guests. Yeah, Verge hasn't been in the league in four years. And I can name you two players off the top of my head, Ben. It was three seasons ago, I think, that they made the return. Emeka Okafor. And Marshawn Brooks each spent exactly three years outside the league and then found their way back in year four. Okafor, I I think it was Philly and Brooks, of course, with the Grizzlies. Yeah. And and then, of course, Marshawn was involved in the Brooks gate where the Wizards wanted – the Suns wanted Dylan Brooks. They agreed to a deal in principle, but then it was Marshawn Brooks. I don't know how you messed that up. But Verichow's back. It's been four years. We last saw him on the Warriors who cut him during the 16-17 season. And at least, Ben, if these are his final games, he gets to play with the team he gave his heart and soul to. He got everything in Cleveland except, of course, the shiny ring because – he had a chance to sign with someone. The Cavs were not one of the teams he could have chosen because he just, you know, there's rules about that. And he went to the enemy, but at least he's back, right? Yeah, it's nice to see him back. It'll be nice to see him back in that wine and gold. And everybody loves Verzhao as well. Everybody in Cleveland loves Verzhao. And it, it's just slightly unfortunate, although he had an incredible career. It's so unfortunate the way it kind of played out, especially towards the end. He had those couple of seasons where he started it. In an incredible form, double doubles every night. He was he was carrying the team like inside. He was phenomenal, and then he'd just get an injury or a niggle somewhere, and it would just repeat on him, and could never keep him healthy. It seemed, um, which was such a shame because he was not only a great player but a great character to have around in the locker room and and on your team. 
Yeah, and Ben, I think it's fitting that we're having this discussion because if I remember correctly, I don't think I'm wrong on this. It was you and I, it was you that came on when, when I was doing my history segment and we did the 2000s together. So we talked a lot about the wig man. That's it. Yeah, you're spot on. Yeah, I came on and talked about those, uh, was it 2000 and well, 2000 to 2010 essentially. Yes. And um, yeah, he was a huge part of that, huge part and uh, uh, of building that kind of that base. And you could almost say, because he played a lot of minutes at power forward, but he, you could almost say he was kind of a, a smaller center coming in, almost the, the start of those smaller lineups you'd see sometimes, you, that you see all the time today. Because although we had people like Ilgauskas and Shaq towards the end of those that time period, he would play that power forward role. Um, but you could also move him to the center spot and he'd be just as comfortable. Yeah, that's exactly right. And per according to his basketball reference page, like he was playing pro in Brazil the last couple of years. It doesn't seem like he did anything last year. But Verjao, and the way they break down your position is where you spend the majority of your minutes. So if it's a 51-49 split, they'll give you the, the benefit of the 51. He was a power forward as a rookie in 0405, and then after three years as the center backing up Z with some injuries in there, he was a power forward from 08 through 10. And then when LeBron left, of course, he shifted into starting center role. And we did have the, I don't know if you're going to call it a benefit or a pleasure or just something we had to bear through of him playing next to Ben Wallace, which back then was fine, but it's kind of a nightmare when you have the two of them together because there's no offense to speak of. Verjo had a nice 12-footer, but that's not going to help anything if Big Ben is carving up the space around you. But Ben, so you, we mentioned, or you mentioned, how much love there was for him in Cleveland. So you had no hard feelings when he picked the Warriors over the other teams uh, in 2015? I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you love him as a player, but at that point in time as well, especially when you're going to Golden State, which at the time is like a, the, the Cleveland's rival at that point in time, it, it's difficult to see. It just never looked right seeing him in that white, blue and gold uniform. It just seemed very odd. Um, and was it that the first year? I'm not sure whether he qualified for it, but he could have. There was a certain amount of games he had to play for either side for him to qualify. Like it didn't matter which team won the championship, he'd still get a ring. But I think he he might have turned it down, perhaps. Yeah, I think. Well, I think it's usually the team's choice. Like, uh, for example, my memory might be a little iffy here, but the Raptors, when they won, they made some moves. I think they got rid of Greg Monroe as early as December or early in January, and they still offered him a ring. I know they offered Jonas Valanciunas one. They offered uh, DeLon Wright one. And then there was maybe one or two other guys that they had traded. Maybe, mm -hmm. I don't think they had Corey Joseph when they won, so maybe him. But I know they, they made a lot of trades around that. Now, he was in Sacramento, so forget that. But, yeah, he I think he, he could have had it for the Warriors. I mean, it's not like if, if Tracy McGrady had won with the Spurs in his very last year, he would have probably gotten it despite not appearing in the regular season. I know there's, yeah. a, few, there's a few guys. And let me think. There was one player. I'm going to have to look this up. You know what? It was – wasn't was it Brandon Jennings? The Wizards. It was Ty Lawson. This is the only time I've ever seen this, and I'm sure you remember, and we'll get back to the Cavs slant. It was, I think it was three or four, maybe five years ago, Ben. The Wizards were in the playoffs, 
And uh, of course their backcourt was Beal and Wall and they, what they never had was a great backup for Wall. Everybody they yeah. got would kind of struggle and they brought in Ty Lawson at the end of the year, but only in time for the playoffs. And he got playoff minutes. I'm going to pull up his, his page to confirm this, but I don't think he had any regular, yeah, he had no regular season minutes with the Wizards and these might've, let me see here. So yeah, 2017, 18, no regular, these are his last games in the NBA actually. Wow. He averaged six points, three boards, three assists, no regular season action, but five playoff games. So that was that was it for him. But it, so I, I assume Barajal, like if the Wizards had pulled a miracle and made it out of the first round, I'm sure they could have given him something. But, you know, uh, Barajal had a nice run with the Cavs the first time. And I think, at least for me, no hard feelings for him going there, no. chasing his opportunity. He did everything he could for Cleveland. It just stinks that he had what eight, nine, ten different major injuries in that twelve-year career. But I think he did enough to get his jersey retired. Yeah, I, I would definitely vote for him to have a jersey retired in Cleveland for sure. Like you said, he he gave everything to that team, uh, and and perhaps it cost him the longevity of his career. Uh, but you cannot fault the effort he he put in whenever he was on the court. He was phenomenal. And he would regu- regularly lead the league in charges drawn, you know, always made the hustle play. He improved his free throw shooting, which I thought was impressive because back then it was only expected of three position players to be good free throw shooters, point guard, shooting guard, and small forward. If you're, a D- if you're 70% for a center, that's good. If you're that for power forward, that's good because there were, there were times where you only had one or two shooters in the game at all. So no one was really going to make their free throws like that. But he got better as he went, and, you know, it was a good run. But is he going to get minutes? Should we expect playing time? Or do you think this is part of a larger plan to either bring him in as a coach or, you know, just building the relationship again? Because I don't I don't know. He's 39. He's four, he is four years removed from his last NBA game. I'm, conf- I'm curious what the plan is. I think it's a combination, personally. I think it's um... – Somebody to have in the rotation if you are super, super desperate because as we'll get on to, I'm sure, a little bit later, we've had quite a few injuries recently um, and limited players available. So having someone like that with his experience can't be bad to have on your roster. And I also think it is going to be a really, really good kind of mental role that I thought maybe JaVale McGee might have for Jack Allen or, or Kevin Love. But if obviously if he moves on, they want somebody in there bringing on these young guys and teaching them about what it is to be a Cavalier and that kind of ethos that they have always had in this locker room. And who else better to do that than somebody who has lived and, and breathed being a Cavalier than Anderson Vergeau. Um So I, I think the playing will be limited, but I I think it's more of a locker room thing initially to then become like a Tim Duncan sort of leave and come on to sort of coaching staff in a in a minor well or a major role to help bring on this young talent. Yeah, that's a great point. It's too bad Duncan didn't stick. From what we from what I gather and what I read, it was only gonna be a one year experiment. So he did he was the interim head coach for a game. But Duncan only wanted to do it for one year and then weigh his options after. So Duncan is not coaching. It's back to Becky Hammond being in that driver's seat when Pop eventually goes. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to see Vera Zhao in that capacity. You know, we've seen a lot of international players 
when their careers end, get into roles on coaching staffs. The one most notably, I know, is Pablo Prigioni, who's been with a couple of different teams and has done a really nice job. And I'm sure that we'll see we'll see Powell in the NBA in some capacity. I know he, I know he's probably going to want to stay uh, and how and be with the, the Bryant family, of course, to continue to comfort uh, you know Vanessa and be with the kids. You know, he's Uncle yeah. Powell, so I'm sure he'll want to be there. Anyway, so I'm sh- I guarantee that well, I don't guarantee, but I I I for I can see him having a role in uh, coaching capacity. But on another note, you know this isn't confirmed, but my guess would be that the season would be over for Darius Garland because the Cavs are all but out. You know, there's really nothing to play for. You know, I, I posted something last night with the remaining schedule what do you expect the win total to be? And more than half of the 50 plus comments said zero, like they're not going to win again. And whether it's because they expect tanking or other things, it seems like Del Vadova is bothered by his neck strain. So there's that. And then there's, I guess there isn't a reason to play Garland. I hate this, but, and then this is different from our discussion a few weeks ago about benching guys before they're gone. So if you're injured, yeah. it's the end of a season. That's another story. If Garland is done, how would you grade his season? my question i don't it, the start of the season was a real bonus i think gave us a real sort of the, the early wins and the influx of team chemistry really built really quickly um i would give this season a b or a b plus like i didn't expect it to be a winning season we've got young talent coming through that we're developing we've got some picks to use at some point um, maybe there's a few things that could have gone better, but overall, what's been great for me is two things. The development of the players we have already, um, such as Sexton, has come on leaps and bounds. I'm talking fringes of all-star leaps and bounds. He's been incredible. Darius Garland, again, has really, really stepped up, and those two have learned to play well together, which has been super, super important. And then the kind of the acquisition of Jarrett Allen has been an absolute uh, revelation. I think a young up and coming center that has some serious talent and something to build from is fantastic. But we, you know, a plus season would have been maybe a couple more wins here and there, maybe a, a play in tournament, but I, I think we've done pretty well. What about yourself? How do you, how would you grade us? Yeah. So I'll start with Garland. 18 points, two rebounds, and six assists a game. So these are these are the notable jumps. So he went from 31 minutes to 33. That's just a product of, you know, knowing your role. And also it looks like he played more at shooting guard last year, so it's good that he was a natural one. 12 mm-hmm. shots to 15 while going from 40% to 45%. Same exact number of threes and makes from 35% to nearly 40 Free throw percentage was down, but he's still around 85, so that's fine. That's going to fluctuate. Four assists up to six. You know, he was very solid. And I don't care about his – his defense is fine. And he'll figure some things out there. What I don't like was how coming into the year – and, like, I was one of them. I was not confident in his ability just because, oh, he's the worst defender. He's the worst this, da 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 we didn't see him healthy last year. He played five games at Vandy. Now he had nine months to digest. So all to watch all the teams in the bubble and the playoffs, the finals, just sitting at home, not even invited. The Cavs are one of only eight out of 30 teams. You have to remember that were not invited because the record was, 
well, it was just bad. Not, you know, they just didn't have a good year, injuries, and experience, and just not a good roster last season. But they came back. They were 3-0. and Clearly, he used not playing for so long as motivation, and I loved what I saw from him really throughout. The only thing that needs to be better is consistent threes, and I think he'll figure that out. And I know that JB wants him to take seven to eight a game. It's just, can you do it within the flow? I think yes. I think he passes them up for floaters sometimes. I give him an A minus. Is that a little generous? Maybe, but I think that he proved to us that he can play well, even next to Colin, who he didn't get a lot of minutes with last year when Vicker and uh, when Beeline was the coach. He can shoot. He can drop six assists a game on a team that really lacks catch and shoot specialists. I, mean, I wouldn't call. Uh, Windler when he was healthy or Nance or Prince Osman is catch and shoot threats. They can score, but they're not catch and shoot threats. Really Prince can Prince does a lot of jab steps, which eliminates assists. So, cause he, he cause it's not the path leading to the shot. It's the move. Hmm. And to average six assists on that team while also playing with a ball dominant Colin Sexton, who is fine. I'm not even going to get into what the media has been saying about him. Cause I think it's all BS. Yeah. And I love Garland, man. I think that he, that's the guy. I think that they have their point guard and anyone that thinks otherwise is just trying to get some likes and some, some media attention. I completely agree. And what I think has been like a real highlight of his game is that passing element. It's so seamless and he can pick them out so, so well. And that it seems to be what is working well, having, Garland at the one and Sexton at the two. So Sexton can just go out and score and Garland can use that passing ability. But they're both getting their they're both getting their numbers. You know, you know, they're both scoring, they're both getting assists. And and like you said, Garland's three-point shot is really nice. And I, I think he's just gonna go from strength to strength in that. Um the defense will pick up as he gets more into the league, gets a bit stronger, gets a bit quicker, gets those years under his belt, gets to know how different the NBA is to what he's been playing in before and uh, you, with the coaches whether we keep the same or whether it changes you know defensive sets change and he'll develop that talent as he goes the the raw skills that he has are fantastic and are something that you can easily build on so it's it's been a great year for him I think it's just such a shame that it's potentially going to end in an injury yeah, it stinks to see that. And looking back, he's had 23 games of at least seven assists, six games in double digits. You know, his shot was definitely there. Look at his three-point shooting. He had multiple threes in 32 games. And in all, there were only seven contests out of 53 where he didn't make a three. And again, it's not even a big part of what they do. Garland had 20-plus points 20 times, which is a huge jump from last year, including the 37-burger and the, the blowout win against the Spurs, one of three calved wins by more than 20. And, you know, all in all, he proved that, yes, the turnovers are there, but nobody's perfect. I mean, show me a guy averaging six, seven, eight assists. Okay, maybe Chris Paul. Chris Paul is the only exception to this. LeBron messes up on those on, on passes all the time. Curry makes mistakes. I mean, Westbrook gets 11 assists because he throws these passes. Everyone else is scared to throw to get guys <laughs> open. I'll throw over his head and chuck it. He'll go behind the back. He'll literally go behind his head. It doesn't matter. You got to take chances for assists sometimes. And 
The fact that Garland had at least four assists 16 times does not bother me. He's going to be fine. And my favorite thing about Garland is just the fact that it doesn't matter who we're playing, he's going to do his thing. But I do have one concern, and I'll address that with you now, Ben, then we'll move on to talking about the team Mm -hmm. themselves. And it's this. There were several different occasions where Darius Garland was hurt. So his first injury uh, during the Hawks game, he missed eight games. Then he was fine all the way up until he played the next 22 games just fine. He missed one against the Pelicans. I can't remember exactly what that was. It was out of the all. Oh, he got hurt against Indiana. Uh, that's right. In the third quarter of our last game before the break. So that happened. Then he missed the Pelicans game. Then he was fine. And then I actually, eh, okay. You know what? Then he missed, he missed another Pelicans game. That's funny. He missed both, even though they were a month apart. My only concern is that even though he's mostly been active other than the one thing early, it does worry me to think, how many times he's gone down and been in discomfort, how many times it's either it's his ankle or his leg. I do worry a little bit about his durability. Any, any concern from you or is it just injuries happen and we have to kind of live with it? There's always concern. Definitely. Uh, especially when it's a younger player picking up these injuries fairly regularly, but as long as he learns to kind of start looking after himself, like a lot of young players will come out of high school, out of college, and and just bound up and down the court and then go home and put their feet up and do the things they did when they were a kid, when they, you, could, you could get away with it. But as you get older and the the game you're playing becomes a higher level and you're playing at a higher level, you have to do the things to help your body, um, whether that is, you know, they've got access to everything, like hyperbolic chain, like ice baths and absolutely anything they could want, a physio, whenever they need it. And he needs to start developing his program, whatever works best for him and start taking care of his body and looking after it. I mean, you look at Steph Curry, his early years in the NBA was ankle injury after ankle injury after ankle injury until he's found his way of keeping on top of that, keeping his ankle strong, making sure that it isn't now an issue. And he's potentially one of the, greatest point guards of all time so as long as he starts developing it you know in a professional way and then thinking about his body and what he needs to do to take the next step I think he'll be fine yeah I like that you know plenty to be optimistic about it was a very good season I actually I was unaware though that he has not missed multiple games in a row since the initial injury so obviously I should probably do a little more research but still it's, it's a small thing there's always got to be some form of concern but let's look at the season as a whole. You know, we're 21 and 43 now, not where quite what we expected. You know, Larry Nance is probably done with the thumb. Let's run down the injury list. It looks like Delavadova. Oh, I didn't know this. He is not going to play again this year. I thought, I didn't know it was official, but apparently it is. So Delavadova is out for the year. Hartenstein is still out with the concussion. Nance probably done with his thumb injury. Torian's done with his ankle issue. Mar Stevens still on concussion protocol and Dylan Windler is out for the year. So that is quite a few names. Hopefully, you know, Greg Buckner and Antonio Lang aren't asked to suit up if they run out of uh, 10 day contracts because they're quite a few years removed. But anyway, all these guys are out. We're seeing a lot of new players get some run. All in all, 24 players have taken the court for at least two games for Cleveland. The, the guys playing two are Yogi Ferrell and, Jeremiah Martin 
just many have come through, many have left. How optimistic are you, Ben, the rest of the season? Now, let's just say no Garland. So we're going to project the starting five to be Sexton, Okoro, and then I believe Osman started the last one with yeah. Love and Allen. Any wins? We got Phoenix. We got the Mavericks twice. We got the Wizards. We got got some tough any win we got brooklyn end the season who knows because it's the last day of the year what's going to happen but what do you expect because it's a it's a tough remaining schedule for us that's for sure um if we're going to pick up wins it's going to be towards the end i think where we'll still be able to chuck out our our main our main starting five and and keep them on the court as much as we want whereas people like brooklyn stuff are going to be resting as many players uh, as possible and kind of emptying their benches um, so the optimistic side of me thinks perhaps maybe another two or three wins, but when you're looking at the injury reports and the current form, it doesn't look massively hopeful, which is a real shame because if you, you know, when you sit down and you watch Cleveland play, they're, they're giving it their all. Whoever's on that court really, really getting stuck in and, um, and yeah, like I said, given it everything they've got, it's just a shame that it might end in such a, especially if we do, if we go winless from here and we're already on a six-game losing streak, it's it's not going to look good. Um, but we all know how good the season has been in terms of other things that we've achieved and player development and things. But the average NBA fan will look at at the the losing streak at the end there and think we've had a terrible season. Yeah, and there's something I want to mention here, and this is about the Portland Trailblazers. And I remember this well, for whatever reason. Uh, I have it up uh, to confirm this. It was the 12-13 season, which was Dame's rookie year. I believe we had Dion in his rookie year that season. And Portland was solid. I think they were 33-36 and 36 after beating Atlanta on – it was March 22nd, 2013. So this is, this is relevant. Why? Why am I talking about – team from eight years ago because Portland then went on to lose their final 13 games and I should add that only three of them were by single digits they lost by 20 points several times nothing worked and Dame had a negative net rating in every single one of these games during what was an impressive rookie year they couldn't beat anybody then they came back the next year and this is where they made the playoffs when no one was expecting it so they were clearly had enough going for them that they were playoff good after ending the season with a wild losing streak. Mm-hmm. So that being said, the Cavs currently have lost six in a row since beating Charlotte. I think it was 12 days ago. If that's the case, it would stink, but I also think it would fuel the fire. And I'm not, I'm not going to be crazy and say Garland is Lillard at this point in his career or Sexton is, is CJ but they play well together, and I know that they're tired of the media. And I don't think this is going to drive Sexton out. I hope not, at least. Like that, that's what almost drove Kyrie out, what we remember, but then he stayed. It forced them to trade Dion. But I think they can come back from a losing streak like this. And I know it's going to be hard. I'm still going to be watching for the next week, week and a half, no matter who's on the court, because, you know, it's what we do as Cavs fans and support our team. But it, I, I don't worry that this year is going to bleed into next year in that in that regard. No, I, I don't think it will at all. Um, I think these guys know kind of where they're at. They'll be looking at the schedule and they'll know what they're up against. The, these are the teams left are, are teams 
playing for a championship. They're, they're five or six years, maybe five years ahead of where the Cavaliers are at this point in time. But what they should be doing over these next few games is using it as motivation, as a way of carrying on that development that we've had this year, playing against the best players in the league. And, you know, if, if Sexton's still putting up 25 points against a Lillard, against a Doncic, against uh, whoever they end up matching him against, then you can say officially, all right, well, maybe we've lost a couple, but we have got some serious talent here. If Jarrett Allen is out rebounding or these guys, if Paul Zingas is back and Jarrett Allen puts up a huge numbers against him, perhaps there's going to be some light we can take from these fixtures coming up. It's just, where do we find them? And, and I don't think this team will give up the fight towards the end of the season, no matter how big or potentially how big this losing streak could get. So I, I can see there being some bright spots to come. It's not all negative. No, it's certainly not all negative. We got our backcourt set despite what – you know, this, I'm just going to name drop. This really rubs me the wrong way, and I'll ask for your input here, Ben. Uh, Sam Amico, who also runs 48 minutes. You know, he's a good writer. He's a good reporter. I, I like what he does. But he posted something yesterday about why Sexton needs to come off the bench, why he can't be a starter, why they need someone else. And to see people with the Cavs platform like that, that are well-known, well-respected. He was with USA Today for years before kind of branching out. It's just so disrespectful. Like, A, this is your team. You're a Cleveland guy, so what the heck? B, you've watched the games this year. I don't think you actually believe the Cavs are better with him off the bench. And C, he wasn't saying that after the Brooklyn game, so what changed? He hasn't gotten any worse, man. Yeah, it, it, that's obscene. Um, like the Cavs are missing some pieces, but one of those missing pieces isn't potentially their best player coming off the bench. It's that that doesn't work in my head at all, especially when the combinations of him in the starting lineup with whoever you have alongside him has been successful. Like you said, against the Nets, um, against whoever, we've had some outstanding performances. He's not holding the team back because he's starting it's, it seems so counterintuitive to think that way yeah and here's my other question uh kind of a follow-up we've seen guys like james harden kevin martin lou williams jason terry jamal crawford manu ginobili so many come off the bench over the years and we or excuse me start no come off the bench come off the bench sorry yeah come off the bench and here's why Here's why they came off the bench. They were terrific scores and playmakers. They weren't liabilities, but you're better off getting other players more looks in the first five to six minutes of each half, which is also kind of what the Clippers did at center with Montrez when they had Zubats in that first year he was there. Not last year where the minutes were a little more spread out. It's Zubats, you play seven or eight minutes. Tyrell, you finish the half. We want other people to get looks. We don't want your style in to open the game. That's fine. But if we move Colin to the bench, is that supposed to open things up for Jetty Osman? Is there a better defensive player at the position that would have benefited? The only guy that would have benefited from starting ahead of Colin, and this might sound stupid now, would be Dante Exum because I think he was a very good defender, and I think that he would have been decent as a starter if, and that's if, 
that was even a possibility, which it never was. Mm. So guys like Amico and Varden, who's out here saying, I just, I can't believe that this is really what the media is. And look, people are out here questioning them, us questioning them, but like, yeah, they can write about other things. There's a few weeks left. It's been a miserable season. Why do they need to keep pushing the envelope on this? Like move on. Now is not the time, but who else? Like Ben, would, would you rather see Jenny Austin start ahead of Colin or would you rather see Dylan Windler who's still learning how to play start ahead of Colin this year? No. Like what, what would have happened? Nothing no. good. Yeah. It, it, and like we've been saying, like at this point in time, these, these are young guys and you don't want media that are out there, especially that are meant to be Cavs fans and supporters, then slating you through this really tough time and potentially that bleeding into the off season when you want to come back with a bang next season. You don't want it to be all negative in the off season. We should be building them up at this point, getting some confidence with them and not berating them and telling them they should be coming off the bench and we should be starting combinations need to change. Well, that's, it's the, that's up to the coaches at the end of the day. It's not, we, we don't have to comment on it. And it's not that it's not been working. It's just we've come up at some up against some tough opposition. We've had maybe some sloppy minutes here and there in quarters, which haven't gone our way. I mean, that Orlando game where we came back, uh, it, it, we just started slow. It's not because we needed some extra points off the bench. We just we started slow. And for me, Sexton coming off the bench is not going to fix every single issue we have. Yeah, exactly. I don't even think it, it fixes anyone. And look, us bashing them and me saying these things doesn't mean I think I can do a better job writing calf stories than they can. It just means why does that? Why does the glass always have to be half empty? I mean, look, that you've heard. I'm sure you've heard the joke video about Cleveland. Their economy runs on LeBron James. I'm, I'm sure you've heard that song. You know the joke, like it makes fun of Cleveland for just being a nothing city that has one thing that matters. Obviously it's a parody, but like, I mean, yes. And I had posted this a couple of weeks ago. If you look at the Cavs history, so 97, 98, they won, they won 47 games despite having more than half their starting lineup being rookies, you know, shout out Brevin Knight, Cedric Henderson, and many of those terrific guys. They had Scott Brooks on that team, I think as well. Shout out to him now coaching yeah. another solid team. He was a backup point guard. But after that 97-98 team, their highest win total, Sands the King, I think was 35 wins. They only have two seasons of 30 wins. And the other one came, and when they had the other one, they decided to fire the coach, hire John, and hire an unknown, and then somehow they got LeBron back. So there was that. But then LeBron leaves, and look what happened. LeBron left the first time, and look what happened. But the five years before LeBron, I mean, you might have been better off uh, going to your local park, paying $20 for entry and watching your best friend hit threes on some, someone's face than it would pay to have watched the Cavs in person. Yeah. It's, it's been LeBron city and it's obvious why, but th the fact is it's bad. It's been bad. We're going to have another year possibly where it's bad unless we draft really well, which is a possibility and trade well, which is also a possibility. But why, why beating, why are you beating this drum? Like we know it's depressing. Like we, we watch all the games, man. And it's, it's hard because 
there's these great teams, there's some blown leads, there's some frustration, but we're not trying to just push the negativity. Look, tell it as you see it, but they're forcing it. And I just think that there's this idea that, that Cavs fans and in, before the last couple of years, Browns fans should just take their lives as fans and give up. Like just putting this, these pieces out about Sexton coming off the bench and not belonging. Is that supposed to endear us to these writers? Are we supposed to like them? Are we supposed to start hating Sexton now? Like I just, there's no end goal and there's no positive vibe. None. We need something good. We look to these writers when we're 21 and 43 to say something that'll make us want to watch the games, not, Point fingers. That, that's the worst part. Yeah. And I, like I said, if we drop well, trade well, I, we, we're a few pieces short of like a full kind of complementary roster to then push on and develop going forward. And I think we're in a great spot. Uh, realistically, I'm prepared for another year or two potentially of maybe sub 500 basketball before we then start kicking on with the guys that we've got right now. It's, that's just the natural progression of the team that we've got at this point in time. And like you said, spreading the negativity is, is not going to help them at this point in time. We need to be looking to the future and to, to development and supporting these guys and making them want to stick around in Cleveland. We don't want these potential all-star players getting fed up with us and leaving. We want them to stick around. We want them to play for us. We want them to be the next Anderson Vergeau. <laughs> Yes, and if you take the C off of Cleveland, it is Leveland. That is not what we want to support. <laughs> we don't want to support Leveland. And no, no we, we don't. It's, you know, that's why you had a B-E in front. Be Leveland. Believe, not, not being ready to leave. You know what I'm saying. Okay. But here's this, Ben. I'm going to give you the rest of the schedule. You tell me how many games the Cavs win. And I do think LeBron James is about to become a diehard Cavs fan because he's complaining about the play-in. And the two teams they're tied with both play the Cavs this week. Hey! hey. <laughs> so I'm going to run through everything and just pick the record at the end. As you know, I'll just say it as we go. Just say win, win, loss, or tie. If the, the teams get bored and just want to call it a tie. All right. Yeah, yeah. We got the team currently occupying the top seed courtesy of a weekend win on tomorrow night. We got the Phoenix Suns and old friend who doesn't like Cleveland, Jay Crowder. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I think this might be a loss. They are playing so, so well at the moment. Um, Chris yeah. Paul is on fire in the clutch. It's, they're a tough team to come up against. So um, I think we'll, we'll fight hard, but ultimately, it's going to come up with a loss. Yeah, so well, I was going to make it clear. Chris Paul has no business being a finalist for MVP. However, if, he should, if he's all NBA, if he's all defense, I'm cool with that. Jokic is the MVP. We're not even discussing that. Chris Paul getting yep. the love is great, but this is Jokic's award. Okay. Then we got Portland. I'd say old pal Rodney Hood, but he is now in Tampa Bay. Can we beat Portland on Wednesday at home? It's like Phoenix at home. My, my head says no, but my heart says yes, because Portland are really well. They, they pulled it, clawed it back together the last three games. But they've been on some horrific form lately. Dame couldn't hit a shot. Um, and we know that they can struggle defensively. And this Cav team likes to score at the moment. So there's hope in this one. Shall I be optimistic? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Beating Portland. Portland. Goodbye, yeah. Kate Cunningham. Hello, win over Portland. No. Hey, 
If we beat Portland, I'll be happy. I know I don't care. We'll get the pick that we get. The Cavs won the lottery after going 33 and 49 with Mike Brown before LeBron <laughs> came back. So you know what? It's not fixed. It's that ping pong balls like the C and the Cavs logo. That's what it is. All right. That's what it is. And then we get the best thing ever, which actually kind of stinks. Friday and Sunday, it's a home and home with the Mavericks. So given the fact that it's not a back-to-back, I assume that there won't be any resting of Mavericks players. So if Kristaps is healthy, he'll play both. Although if Luka Doncic picks up a technical before then, he will not play in one of these games. I highly doubt he can go. And look, it's hard. When you're a star, he's not getting the calls yet. So he's going to complain. If he gets one tech, he might miss the Friday game. Or if he gets a tech on Friday, he'll miss the Sunday game. Let's assume that Luca plays and Kristaps plays. Do we, can we win one either at home or in Dallas in this home-and-home uh, home set? I'd like to think they maybe go all out in the first one and, and perhaps rest on the second one. But they're also fighting for their position to try and keep themselves away from certain oppositions and certainly out of that playing tournament. So I feel like they're these are they're going to be targeting these two games as winnable games for them to stay afloat. Um, so I think they might, instead of like putting it all into the first one and maybe resting on the second, they might go full squad on both. So I think it might be a back-to-back loss at the same team there. Okay, which, so you're, uh, you're, my, saying, you're saying the Cavs are the, here. So you're saying the Cavs are the ones that might rest, right? Not the Mavericks? No, the, so uh, I think the Mavericks, if the Mavericks weren't fighting for a position and staying out of that playing tournament, I think they'd rest in that second game, perhaps. Okay, but see, it's not a back-to-back. There's a day in between, okay. so it's uh, not a back-to-back. So, uh, yeah, I think the Mavs are taking both, yeah. uh, unfortunately. That's all right. You know, if if the Brooklyn pick had been a little higher, we'd be the ones with Luka Doncic in that situation. Nevertheless, <laughs> I, I love Colin and always will. But, you know, it's it's the battle of the what-if. You know, it's if... If you if a coconut hits you on the head and you wake up in an alternate dimension, the Cavs have Luka Doncic or in the Mavericks position. But hopefully you're not near any palm trees where you are, so that can't happen. So we can I certainly am not. <laughs> the, the only saving grace we've got is the Mavericks have got Miami and then Brooklyn uh, before us. So maybe they will rest a couple of players. Who knows? That's true. You know, anything can happen in that. And then we got Indiana on Monday at home. Uh, this is a week from today. Who do we got? This is, again, another very winnable game for us. Um, the Pacers start really well. Um, they've, they've been falling slowly in form as we've gone throughout the year. Um, this is a really tough one to call. Uh, again, they're, they're fighting for that play-in berth position. They're, they're going to be scrapping again, targeting this game as, as a must-win. So they're going to be piling everything they can into this one. Um, I don't know if Turner will be back. Uh, Turner, I don't think will be back. But I don't even know if Sabonis is going to play either. But they win with nobody playing. O'Shea Brissett is somehow this this guy that's emerged as as a fantasy keeper. Like he's a really <laughs> good stat stuffer. I don't even I, – I personally think that we're losing no matter who's in just because last time we played the Pacers, TJ McConnell stole – from us like he stole from the banks he stole from the restaurants and he stole the ball from all of our players he was a thief the entire game and then you add him you still now you have brogdon you got lavert then karis lavert is gonna is gonna cook the backcourt to be frank so you know it's 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 a loss but i think it's one of those games where we don't realize it's a loss until we get to the third quarter i think it's a good first half and then they slip 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think I can see that coming. The Pacers seem to have been doing that this past couple of seasons. They'll just uh, need someone to step up and they'll find someone in the roster somewhere in the back cupboard. They'll just chuck him on a court and he'll, he'll cook. So, um, yeah, they're tough. And then we go to March or May 12th and the official return. He was in health and safety protocol last time. Tristan Thompson returns to play in the lands. That's going to be fun for that aspect, but I, I can't see a world where we're beating Boston just because nope. I, I, I do see them despite the position they're in resting one of Jalen or Tatum. And even if Kemba's still out with his knee, it won't matter. He'll probably be back by then because they, they figured it out with Fournier they're finally discovering that Vanderbilt players should always be in the rotation. <clears throat> Aaron Neesmith looking very good recently. <laughs> very good, yeah. So I think that uh, Boston's going to be a little too hungry, and I think our pal Rich Barrett is going to be smiling at the end of the game. Absolutely. Definitely. Unfortunately. Yeah, there's, there's not much you can do. And, you know, that's also going to be a game where Boston might target, uh, use the bench a little bit more. So we'll see a little more Romeo or Carson Edwards or, or Tremont Waters. I actually don't know Tremont Waters' age because I don't know if he was a Europe guy or a college guy. Nevertheless, it'll be a good game, but we're going to lose it. We got two more. And this May 14th game is actually kind of scary because they've beaten us twice already and recently. And they played twice recently because of the fact that they had the games – postponed in, in the first half we got the wizards again can, can they stop westbrook or beal on may 14th or the wizards we're probably going to still have the raptors and bulls on on their on their keister for that last spot are they just going to be going all out and treating the Cavs like uh like a like a brooklyn or like a milwaukee yeah this this could be the last kind of targeted game for the wizards so two games up on the raptors three games up on the bulls in that tense slot they might have it tied up by that point, depending on how Toronto and Chicago do over the next couple of games. Um, but if they don't want to chance it and uh, they want to officially make a stamp on that 10th or even ninth slot, uh, this is the game they're going to want to win, especially with the current uh, form against the Wizards this season. So um, unfortunately, I think that is going to be a loss there. Yeah, it's fine. And there is no benefit to being nine or 10 versus being seven or eight. It's kind of funny how that works. Eight yeah. is in the same position as seven, nine, 10 in the same as nine, but it's going to be a fun play. And I'm excited. Forget Braun and Luca, Mark Cuban, whoever doesn't like it. If you don't like it, then don't be in it. You know, the teams that would have had no chance otherwise are certainly happy to just have a chance to prove themselves. And the only, the only team that should have a gripe is last year's Grizzlies because, you know, they were right there and yes they fell to nine in those eight games but if there was no if they had just exhibition instead of playing eight games they would have been in anyway last game of the season i'm hopeful to be there in person tickets purchased just totally how the game happens is scheduled cleveland brooklyn i am pretty sure that timothy gawalu capro is going to play 48 minutes and i have a feeling that barajao is going to play a lot in this one if once they figure out the contract situation so I'm just going to call it a win because you know what? Brooklyn doesn't care. They're not going to be yeah. playing any of their stars. And I believe that it's going to be all about Alize Johnson and uh, Jared Allen in this one. Yeah. Jared Allen is going to want to put on a show, isn't he? Especially back in Brooklyn. Um, and they're going to be resting absolutely everybody. They might just have a seven man rotation of people they found on the street. 
Yeah, on, in, in Brooklyn, you, you find Hoopers everywhere. Yeah, just to rest the, the, the main guys. So uh, I think Cleveland can walk away with a big win at the end of the season, saying that they, you know, if, if Brooklyn potentially go on to win it all, saying they beat the champions last game of the regular season. <laughs> don't look at the don't look at the uh, the rosters. Don't look at who played, but we beat them. Exactly. Like we look at the the Bubble Suns who went eight and zero. We don't care. They finished under five hundred. They went eight and zero, and look what happened the yeah. next year. We beat Brooklyn. Well, you know what? Uh, sorry, we're going to be the one seed in the East next year. I don't That's make it. the rules. It's just how it is. <laughs> but any closing thoughts, Ben, uh, before we wrap up and say goodbye till next time? Uh, I think just kind of what we've been preaching throughout. Keep it positive. There's so much to look up to, so much to look forward to in Cleveland. We've just got to be patient. That would be my closing words. Well said, Ben Jones. The preacher of positivity, along with Zach Weiss, who is all about the wisdom of words, because you use words that have negative connotations, and you're trying to call everybody out, and you're trying to create a firestorm using a little smoke. Well, yeah, you're going to ruin it for all of us. But there were some positives. We're getting Varejao soon. Saxon's going to continue to play well. We're going to see some young guys with a lot of opportunity. But Ben Jones of the Hardwood Hoops podcast and also host of The Debate, which I highly suggest you check out. If there's any specific things you've thought about in the NBA where you can get into heated conversation, Ben directs it beautifully. So, Ben, thank you as always. Thank you for having me. So, for Ben Jones, I am Zach Weiss. This is Across the Cavs, and we will see you next time.